increasing regulation, market saturation, and rising interest rates. Still think short-term rentals make sense? You're not alone. Join industry experts Bill Faith and Kenny Bedwell as they discuss how you can invest while still staying ahead of the curve, identifying trends before they happen, or blowing them away outright with their insights. This is STRonomics. Are you looking to invest in short-term rentals in North Carolina or South Carolina? There's a lot of great markets there, but even more important the markets are that you find the right agent. And that's where my man, Tyler Kuhn comes into place. I personally used him for three purchases totaling over $3.5 million. And I would not look to anybody else. Just jump down into the show notes right here below the podcast, click on the link and book a free discovery call with Tyler to explore the opportunities in both North Carolina and South Carolina today. Hey, everybody. My name is Bill Faith. I'm just kidding. I'm Kenny, <laughs> and I'm with Bill Faith, and uh, welcome to another episode of STRonomics. We are oh, going to... the title right. I know, right? No. <laughs> I was practicing for like five minutes before. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be talking about how to find properties, like good deals, based on the property type. So we're not going to be talking about condos. We're not going to be talking about townhouses. And I really want to talk about single family homes. I want to talk about a unique or unique property types. For example, yurts, and tents and domes and tree houses and tiny homes and other types of, you know, unique properties that are, that are on, you know, the, the platforms, the OTAs. So I want to start out first. I don't want to tell everybody why you're a condo hater. Why I'm a condo hater. Two episodes in a row. Well, I am any condo hater. I'm not a condo hater. I just, it's hard, hard to diversify diversify in a condo. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's really, really hard. Nothing against condos. I just would never invest into one because it's not as solid of an investment as a unique property. Many times we're going to talk to single family homes, duplexes. So don't think Kenny and I are condo haters. And it's investing if, if you can't afford a house or something like that, and that's the only path, then just make sure you do your analysis and do the right one bedroom or two bedroom on a trafficked market. Yeah. But why I'm not calling on upon them now is not simply because of that, because they're not unique. Um, I want to focus on unique properties. So Bill, my first question to you is, um, before I like throw out some data, I thought it was interesting that, uh, or I guess, what were your takeaways? So in our mastermind, we had a, we did a bunch of benchmarks and there were, there were some uh, individuals in our group who do glamping. So they have glamping sites with, you know, nice yurts or tents or whatever they have. And then, you know, a, a lot of others have, you know, single family homes. But what did you notice about their returns from the the, the glamping, you know, individuals? I mean, their 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 cash on cash return is pretty solid because the buried entry is very low. Right. right. So I look at Denise as an example. She has three safari tents. You know, her husband builds them. Um, and they're, they're, I mean, and there's, and I've been there to see two of them, right? Um, I went with Justin Shaner, you know, from our mastermind. And they're, they're really freaking cool. I, and they're in, outside of Austin. And I was there in like July. And it was, I felt like I was on, you know, walking on the sun. It was so freaking hot. But she has air conditioning and she has, you know, fans and they're super nice. They're not, it's not like a traditional yurt. It's literally a safari tent. And it's, it was really cool. Coffee bar inside, king size bed outside on a full bathroom, rain, shower, hot tub, all that type of stuff. And they're building the whole thing for like 44, I don't remember, say 50, 60, it's under 60K for like the whole thing, right? 
Now they have six acres and they, now they have three of them on there. So the, it is where you can get some economies of scale. The cash on cash is strong. I don't remember the exact numbers. I think it's like 45 to 55%. The cash flow is lower than a single family home. But here's the caveat to that. I personally would never do that as a standalone investment with a yurt or a tent or anything like that. Uh, just like I would never do it for a mobile home because I'm not building equity in the resale along with my cash on cash return, right? So that's the two-pronged approach that I'm looking at as an investor. Uh, but the cash on cash is good and it's a great spot for somebody. I've never seen somebody buy a cheap piece of land that's maybe secondary to some traffic generating land and spend money on on jurts or tents or even a tiny home as opposed to go, if you're going to spend 300 k do that as opposed to go buy a freaking condo. Because at least you have the outdoor area that you can make unique, you know? And I want to ask you later, because I saw, was it in the benchmarks or somewhere uh, that you have a zip line, you know, at one of your properties, I believe. (laughs) No, that was a joke that you put based on the Gulf Shores. So I look at, so zip lines are actually a thing. I don't know if you knew that or not. If you can get it insured. But the thing with Denise is the one thing that she hasn't done is she hasn't built a master plan, right? And she doesn't have fire pits and stuff strategically for all three of those tents. And I think that's where you're doing it one-offs and you're thinking very linearly and small as opposed to, okay, it's just like building a a housing tractor development. I need to have a master plan. And, you know, I'm big on this type of planning. I mean, I just happen to have this sitting here, not a sales pitch because I don't sell them. But this is my built in. So you see, that's from that there. But look, I mean, I believe in having a master plan for our life. I believe in having a master plan for our portfolio. And you need to have to distill this down a master plan when you're making an investment. I love this topic. I'm not going to get too far off the rails here, Kay, because I love unique properties. And there's so many things you can do to make them unique. But today, we're talking about something I've never invested into. And that's actually the unique dwelling, right? So I wasn't even really exposed in person to seeing, I'd never seen a dome in person until I went to uh, the Western North Carolina mountains for the first time nine months ago. So, and now I see them and, you know, they're kind of cool. I would invest in one if it was, you know, probably in a, a, you know, a ski in ski out situation. (laughs) Igloo. (laughs) I've stayed in an igloo in Alaska before. Yeah. You know, also. Especially when you're working at the Aurora Borealis and like half of it's, you know, plexiglass where you can just lay in bed and be staring at the stars in the Aurora Borealis. That's unique stuff, right? Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think the unique experience providing that in a vacation rental, it almost makes it, I want to be careful here, but I'll say it, you know, it, it almost makes the property, if it's the right location and the right uniqueness, it almost makes it recession proof. You know, because people are going to travel there and they want, they still want that experience that you're providing. Now, this isn't true for every property. This isn't true for, you know, you can't just put a tent anywhere and expect it to kill it, you know, year round. Um, there's going to be seasonality. There's going to be other factors. There might be other competition depending on where you're doing it. But it's, it is a way to, um, you know, capture and, and get a, a decent cash on cash return for your investment. Uh, I want to throw out some numbers real quick. Um, I know you're itching to say something, Bill, but I'm going to throw out some numbers first because you're on my phone. Now hold your tongue. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so the average unique property 
uh, gets about, and so I, I did this some research uh, like a couple weeks ago. It, on average, you know, so like we're tar- talking every unique type of property that's not a townhome, single family, or uh, a condo. So it's this is yurts, tents, uh, domes, campers, uh, a- anything unique like that. Treehouse. That's not a single family, not one of those made up tree houses that people say is a tree house just because it's in trees. But, you know, I can't stand those. But legitimate tree houses, these unique properties. So their average revenue across the entire country is around uh, $47,000. Well, the average single family home revenue across the entire country is $42,000. So there's obviously some sort of, you know, it's always it varies market to market, obviously, um, you know, and how often these are rented and things. But the tents and things are impacted significantly by seasonality. And there's times in the year when you can't even stay in, you know, in a lot of these markets. So it's, it's impressive that they, they have a high uh, average revenue um, compared to single family homes. Also, what I find impressive, so, you know, obviously the, some of the, the uniqueer, the type of property, the um, structure, I should say, not property, but the structure the, the higher the revenue. So you're talking your campers, your RVs, your, you know, uh, you take buses for, I've seen some of those, the domes, especially the domes, they have an incredibly high average revenue. You, like it's, a, it's, a, it's around $60,000, which is amazing for a dome, you know, and, but you know, you, you want to have a bathroom, all these other things in them. So you can't just have one of those like plastic ones, but the, the domes do really well. Uh, a lot of the campers do well. And it, it's interesting because a lot of times you can put multiple on a single pond of land. Now, check the zoning laws. It's not true for everywhere. Most places, that's you can't do that. But in a lot of these markets where it's ideal to have those, and you, you do see a lot of them in, you can put multiple on a on a single acre or two acres or whatever the rules are, and really uh, you know maximize your returns. And it goes back to that master plan. Now, I will say. Uh, a, a tidbit of caution because I was looking at doing this. And um, I mean, to clean a one bedroom or two bedroom dome is like, you know, not, like not, it takes, you know, maybe an hour to do, which is great. But you got to find somebody willing to drive out to wherever the location is to do it and then clean it for the hour. And then you, you're not going to charge a high cleaning fee. So there, there's a lot of like, yes, there's great returns here. But I do want to caution that there are some caveats. And I think it goes back to what you said, Bill, with having the master plan. Because imagine going in and you put, you know, instead of one or two, you put in like 10. So you, obviously like the revenue increases and the cash flow is going to increase on a, on a mass scale. But you now have the, the systems. You can put implement the correct systems. You can have a cleaner, a dedicated cleaner that goes out there daily, you know, and they're paid and they're happy with the pay they're getting. So these are all types of things that need to be thought out because what I see happening with a lot of people that get into these is they want, they say, I want to try it out and they do one or two and then they end up there. They get stuck cleaning it themselves or stuck getting caught in it. And, um, and then it becomes, yeah, it was a great, you know, my cash on cash return is great, but they complain about doing it. You know, they wish they had the single family home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know, Bill, do you want to, what's your experience on that side there from just lessons learned from talking to some of your mastermind members? Yeah, I mean, I think one, the 
when we're talking about unique, let's be specific, we're talking about the actual dwelling itself, not necessarily unique interior or exterior of a property. I think the big, the hardest part about this is finding zoning or lack of completely to where there's like literally no zoning laws in a spot that is close enough to high traffic volume to make it work. Because if not, you're gonna have to spend an exorbitant amount of money in acquisition or you know, potentially in, in building to make it the destination. And there's like a cave property in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas uh, that absolutely crushes. And it's, and, you know, Hodge, uh, the bank is the one that showed it to me a few months ago. And it's booked out like almost a year and a half sold out, right? Mm-hmm. At like $4,000 a night for this property. It's not even really sellable. It's, you know, and John knows the owners and I'm like, dude, we need to buy that. But like, they won't sell it. You know, they're, they're, they're crushing it. So you can find domes. I mean, the first place I saw it was on Chitter Mountain, you know, in Western North Carolina. I definitely would buy a dome before I'd buy a condo. Uh, there's no question. It gets more opportunity to be able to customize and create even more of a unique experience outside of just, you know, being inside of a dome. But I think that you can, I, I think that the unique properties like that, like you look at the tree house, the tree, the television tree house builder dude, you know, opened up like six tree houses in the Gatlinburg area. Uh, Lori Lochtefeld, you know, in our mastermind has a really good friend, like up in Whitefish that has tree houses and, you know, stuff like that. The domes, the igloos I stayed in at Borealis Base Camp, you know, about an hour north of, of Fairbanks, Alaska. You know, I think it still needs the traffic driver, but I do believe that, um, you know, a former client of mine and, and you know, Richard Furtank sent out an email probably four or five weeks ago about experience over luxury was one of his, uh, you know, paragraph headings or, or whatever it was. And I believe the experiential uh, component, I agree with him hundred percent. The experiential component is what can become recession proof. It's not just going to be a high end luxury, you know, property. You have to have that, that unique factor of not just the property itself, but the whole experience needs to be uni- unique. And I remember when I was looking uh, at my Banner Elk property and Gosh, when was that? I guess late February, early March. And I went and I saw um, a river property about 45 minutes outside of Nashville. And it was this fitness influencer who had like 15 stand-up panel boards and she was doing yoga classes and she had a, a full obstacle course and zip lines and, you know, just all of this different type of stuff that made this property so experiential for the people who were coming there. And it was like a $700,000 property. She, I saw all of her data and she had done like 190 grand, you know, which is pretty great. But then I asked her, break it down to how much, of, how, how much are you here? And she was like charging for it to come on site for yoga classes and to do all this type of stuff. And there was no way I could replicate that, right? So one of the things that I think becomes really important of a legitimate business is not to insert yourself into the business. You got to keep yourself extricated, right? So it, the, the property and the amenities and the unique components that you would implement need to be standalone. That becomes really important or else you're not creating a sellable asset and it's going to take way too much time to be able to manage. So I think the more unique the property becomes, the more unique the overall experiences, the better the investment it's going to end up being, if that makes sense. Now, the flip side of this is, is make sure that if you have like all that shit, uh, horseshoes or an obstacle course or a ropes course or zip lining or anything that has 
any oh, restaurant right. <laughs> you verify that you can get insured before you get out of your due diligence process, right? When you're going in to, to purchase for an acquisition. A lot of people wait way too long on the insurance side, like literally to the last week, because they could typically get uh, you know, approved within a day or two. I believe that insurance, especially when you get into these unique properties, should be part of the, the due diligence process. And almost nobody, almost nobody writes that in to the contract as part of the due diligence, um, you know, and as a contingency. And I can tell you right now, somebody that's been invested in the, into the Gulf uh, for years and went through Sally, a hurricane, and lost an entire property, that if we get hit with a hurricane again, anywhere in the Gulf, even in Dustin, even in Port St. Joe, that will affect Gulf Shores. It'll affect Fort Worth. It'll affect everywhere in that Gulf. And you, a lot of companies will, will exit because they'll go bankrupt or they won't want to insure in the Gulf. The same thing happens with those unique properties, right? So you got to be really careful. You look at Gatlinburg. You know, we had a Jeff Folger, a mass wine member, lost a property in the fires. Um, you know, Proffer just isn't insuring there like they used to anymore. I mean, they're only, they're only insuring select properties there. And you're having to do ridiculous things to be able to do it. Well, similar things happen when you get into these more unique properties, especially with tents, you know, yurts, tree houses that are elevated, much easier for somebody to fall on the tree house. So insurance needs to be a huge part of that and your due diligence. And I think that's part of the acquisition side. But I do agree with you 100%. Kenny, the more unique the property, the more unique the experience, the more recession-proof it's going to be. That's why I think people that are buying now should be looking at we shouldn't be looking at just the traditional, uh, you know, single family homes any longer. We need to look at more experiential, you know, content. And, um, you know, when I say content, content is the thing that the, the guests are going to do while they're there. That's really their experience, not the four walls or the eight walls and that the octagon or, or the dome or whatever it is. It goes outside of that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Are you looking to purchase an STR in the Western North Carolina mountains? the high country, maybe even on, on the beach of North Carolina and the OBX or all the way down into Hilton Head, South Carolina. My man, Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty has you covered. And one of the things that I love about Tyler is he specializes in short-term rentals. He takes a no BS approach, is honest, and is filled with integrity. How do I know this? Because I've used Tyler on three transactions totaling almost three and a half million dollars, and he has absolutely crushed it for me. Look, if you're not sure where you should invest, he's based out of Asheville, North Carolina. He helped me invest in Banner Elk, North Carolina, and Beach Mountain, North Carolina. He's not only just a real estate agent that specializes in short term rentals. Tyler is also an owner of short-term rentals and owns a management company. So one of the biggest hurdles for us mentally is to get over, how do I find cleaners? How do I find handymen? How do I find a plumber? Well, you know what? Tyler's dialed in and he helps his clients navigate those issues. So if you're looking to invest pretty much anywhere in the Carolinas, Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty is your man. And right now he's actually doing a free discovery call. You can click down on the link in the notes and set up your free discovery call with Tyler today. What's interesting too is uh, something to keep in mind that you get hit harder from guest reviews than single family home because people, we know how people on vacation are. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that, but it's, it's harder. And so 
you have to not only it's not just one thing saying oh yes i want to you know buy a dome and or you know put a tent up or you know an igloo but you need to think about the other amenities and the quality of the amenities and when i say amenities i'm not meaning like you know horseshoes i'm talking like the bathroom and the shower and you know uh, just knowing what those are uh, and the quality that you have to provide because even the location, I mean, that is uh, one of the biggest things that kills those type of properties when you look at their reviews is where is that property located? Uh, was it, were you able to, so I'll give you an example. So uh, there's, we own some land out in Arizona near the Grand Canyon and the glamping thing is huge out there because you can see like the Milky Way and the stars and so like, and everybody's off grid. So I was looking at the reviews in all of these, these glamping experiences get killed in the wintertime because when it snows, all the guests have, you know, they dr- they're driving a Prius, of course. They're not thinking about the weather, you know, for Flagstaff that it can snow in Northern Arizona and they end up, you know, driving in and, and they're going to have to drive like one or two miles on a dirt road to their tent. And it just snows like, you know, 10 inches of snow and there's no way they can make it or it's hard and blah, blah, blah. So these are all things like, yes, on paper, I think unique structures, I should call this for unique structures instead of unique properties, but really, I mean, it's kind of both. They can bring in and they do look very attractive from an investment standpoint. However, you need to, to really educate yourself about the insurance, like Bill say, you know, the location, if you're looking at a specific property, what could be the fall points? What's the seasonality? Are you going to have to shut it down during the winter or the summer if it's too hot or too cold or whatever? So I, I think that, yes. Communication, Tenny. So a lot yeah. of that issue you talked about where people don't expect snow in Flagstaff. I, I'm actually driven through Flagstaff when it's been snowing. I mean, I got caught off guard. I didn't expect it in Arizona. You know, you don't think you're going up to 3,500 feet or 45, however tall it is. Is your communication, you know, in your listing, in your your messaging, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. And, and a lot of those people in a lot of those places, there's no signal. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's fun. Um, yeah, it's it's really funny. Like, or I would say it's funny, but it's it's interesting, you know, reading the reviews and they're like, we got lost and we couldn't talk to the owner because there was no cell reception. And so there are like, you know, that. There's a lot of things to think about when getting into investment, but it is a very attractive investment if you are willing to put in the work once again and take the time. I know we've talked about, you know, the regulation approach a couple of podcasts ago, but what's the common theme here is doing the research, taking the time to sit down and and understand what you're truly getting into because it's not just easy money. None of this is easy money that we're talking about. Potential to be good money and great money, however, you have to sit down and do the research. Yeah, the only person that's that's easy for is the person that's selling you that course for two thousand bucks that sends oh five steps to passive income and you don't have to do anything in short term. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that's that's not going to be the case for the next three, four, five years. We're going to have to work at it. There's no question. You know, a lot of great data points brought up. I still believe, and I want to confirm. Uh, to everybody listening that literally the, if you can buy one of these, I would, I would place these unique properties above single family homes. And I think that's a message that Kenny's, you know, sending as well, depending upon all these of the regulation and the location of those other factors, 
you know, Kenny mentioned some things about getting lost, no cell connection. Those are things that you should be looking at in your vetting process. So I remember the first time I drove from Nashville to Banneril. I have to go through some Johnson City goes to Banneril. Knoxville goes to Banneril. Nashville goes to Banneril. That whole boom, Beach Mountain, Banneril area. And coming from Tennessee, you go through a good 10 to 15 minutes of no cell coverage right where you cross over into North Carolina. And I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't pay attention to it. I think I'm a pretty perceptive dude. I know my XM were serious. Sorry, XM's and I'm dating myself because that's not around anymore. Serious radio went out and I couldn't even get serious radio. And literally my daughter, 16 year old daughter, she starts singing Taylor Swift. I'm like, dude, you need to stop that because that's like too high pitch. <laughs> but here's the deal. My, it was, I think it was my second guest that came to stay at my property in June. They called me. They're like, we're lost. Our GPS isn't working. And we just drew, kept driving straight down this road to where we got a cell connection so we could call you. And they didn't know where they were. I'm like, I can't help you. You know, unless you have GPS tracking or you can send me a pin. Or and then they didn't know how to send a pin. They were older, right? They didn't know how to do any of that type of stuff. I'm like, well, you need to figure out where you're at and follow your map. Or at least just go to downtown Denver out and I'll tell you how to get here. And what they were probably 15 minutes away. I got to call in 90 minutes later. And they weren't happy. And they weren't happy because they lost their cell connection. But it was my fault. So the other thing that I look at with these unique properties, and, and I don't even own one of these, but you go through these learning experiences, right? So if you do buy something like this, the yurt, the safari tent, you know, you do time, time for this, you know, in, in Texas, the HEB guy did four uh, like tiny home cabins. They're different. There's different trial. Like he has to communicate, hey, this, you're not, you don't have the entire property. You're sharing the swim spa. You're sharing, you know, the barbecues. You're sharing all this kind of stuff. We got to be crystal clear in that communication. And I think about it right now, like literally it's in the forties right now in Banner Oak and Beach Mountain at night. We're close to potentially could get a snow or an ice or a sleet probably in the next two, three, four weeks. And I went back and I double checked my messaging and I didn't have a dedicated message that says, hey, that's an homage to the, the bank whisperer. Hey, you know, hey. You, I think you start to every email off. Hey, okay. you, you, I, I literally created kind of the winter expectation, you know, messaging. You need to have all wheel drive, four wheel drive chains. You know, we're not responsible for road closures. Check the weather ahead of time. All this type of stuff that only being invested into warmer climates, I never thought of. Right. So like literally I had my first day at my beach mountain property check out yesterday and my cleaners are, are at my other two properties cleaning. They're like, we can't get to beach today. And I'm like, that's okay. Cause I don't have a guest coming till Thursday, the second one, but you need to go and check my heaters. Cause I have like the, you're probably familiar with the floor heaters, Kenny. And I'm scared shitless. Cause it's my first time dealing with those. And I'm afraid so, somebody like left a blanket laying on one and it's going to catch on fire or whatever, you know? So those are all new learning experiences that we have to consider when we're doing a unique property or something that we currently have never done before, right? I learned a lot from spending two or three hours with Denise, just quizzing her. You know, I went and saw her safaris under the sun or whatever the name of hers is. And, and she just had two tents at that time. Um, I've talked at length with Tan Forbes about his tiny home cabin set up and how, why kind of his master plan. He had a master plan. He came out of being an executive at HEB, so he understood opening like grocery store locations and stocking and merchandising. 
we have to apply these concepts specifically, in my opinion, when we're building something with multiple dwellings. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for yurts, for tents, for domes, for tiny homes, for all this type of stuff. Heck, the, the North Carolina, another, another not deal breaker, but thing that was kind of a buzzkill is when we started, do, when we went deep into our due diligence and we started calling the planning and zoning commission and uh, the city that we were investing into, it was a two and a half acre property. And there's, you know, the motel, then there's the pool and there was this whole area with grass. And we're like, dude, we're going to put like airstreams out there. We're going to put some tents out there. Uh-uh. Flood, yeah. flood plan, can't do it. Right. So that devalues the investment. So I looked at a lake that I, that I own on Smith Lake. 92% of that lake is unrestricted. Perfect opportunity to be able to go in uh, and do this type of a, a deal. Somebody, there's a two acre parcel right next to my house. Literally, somebody could go into that and drop tents on it if they wanted to. I would hate it because I own right next door. Thank God we do have some covenants in, in my non paying eight. Well, I think we pay like $65 a year for an HOA screen. <laughs> um, but just to where we can have legally have covenants to stop stuff like that. But what is the address? What's that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what's the address? <laughs> it's a lot stuff for sale. Thank God the doctor's building a massive house bigger than mine. They, oh, okay. Property value. But my point is, is if, if you're going to do something like this, I'm going to give you two tips. One, look for land in as close proximity to traffic drivers as possible. So as an example, I'm recently I've talked a lot about Hot Springs, Arkansas. The market's closing inside the city limits. That's a good thing. Once it closes, if you go back and listen to our regulation podcast we did right before this or a couple episodes ago, but the county has a tremendous amount of unrestricted land. So right outside the city lines, if you could find some unrestricted land right outside Asheville, North Carolina, right outside the city limits of basically Davidson County in Nashville, Right, you look at these shutdown markets. It's really attractive in the county outside of where, right where the regulation stops. So, if you want to do something like this, that's really where I would personally be targeting Watkins Glen, New York, right outside those city limits, and a view of you know Seneca Lake where Kenny is. Those are the places that I would be targeting. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> I'd love to. We're actually looking at, um, I'm trying to, we were going to go visit this past week. We didn't have time, but one of the wineries is for sale and, um, it's like the oldest winery there and they have an inn and it's, it's got the best view. It's actually lakefront. It's got this amazing view of the lake, um, best view in the whole, like the whole area really. And, um, the inn has, I think like, like 15 units. Um, and it's, it's okay, but. The winery is super nice. You go in there and it's, you know, all pristine and that, and that's like the main business there. And they have this end with the views, but they're not really doing anything. And I'm like, man, like they could really like capitalize on it. So, but I mean that, you know, obviously I'm thinking with an arbitrage. Arbitrage. There we go. Yeah. Never thought I'd hear, I'd never thought I'd say that before. <laughs> but I mean, the, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I'm just the, the fact that like, does it for sale? Is it? Yeah, it is for sale. So I don't know if it was recently bought or so. It went up for sale like a month ago. So I'm oh sitting there. One seven or something like that. One three maybe. I need to I need to look at it again. But I mean, 15 to, to uh, they said around 15 units. I need to get the exact number. But 15 units, you know, I think some of them were two bedrooms or whatever. But I walked through it and it was not 
nice. I was surprised compared to, um, but I mean, it's people are there. For- Get that popcorn ceiling down, throwing some new, you know, LVT, some paint, some new bed- bedding. You're good. Right. And I mean, like even the, the fact, the experience, like, Hey, you're at the winery, you've got views, you know, all that. I mean, that it's a unique area. It's a unique property. I mean, it is like a fixed structure with walls and stuff, not tents or anything, but right. I mean, thinking differently, that's where I'm going with it. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity and unique properties, but be careful, do your research. So one thing that people stop investing into when they start losing money in a recession is luxury. So keep in mind that the experiential component is what people want to buy. Um, and that's probably going to be the case for the next easy two to three years, if not four or five years. So I, I yeah, I, I feel like we're wrapping up here, but I, this question, it, it, it keeps coming to my mind and I wasn't going to ask it, but I'm like, you know what? Might as well ask it now just because, so what are you doing? Okay. Take a sip. <laughs> um, so what are you doing for future property? So like the, the hotels that you're looking or the motels that you're looking at, you know, transforming, how are you looking at turning them into an experience or you know, be, have some sort of experience to it. Yeah. I mean, so like the first one that we're preparing to close on is Lakefront with a launch, which is like never happens. Yeah. Um, it's got a dock. Uh, it's got a pier with a dock. It's got this whole like sitting viewing area and it's got enough grass area to where, you know, we can put plenty of stuff out there, whether it's cornhole, horseshoes, you know, volleyball, build a beach volleyball court. Uh, we have a lot of stuff that we can do to make it, you know, more experiential outside of just the design elements. It's also a mix of studios, one bedroom, two bedrooms. So the driver for us is the water and the proximity to downtown hot springs. It's almost walkable, not quite. It's right about a mile to get into the main strand, you know, where the bathhouse is and the retail, you know, and everything is. So really it's location the proximity to downtown, but also it's lakefront, it's waterfront, right? So the water really is going to be the the deal for us. We have a laundry room and we have a four bedroom, two and a half, four, four two or four, two and a half house um, that is not SDR permitted right now. We've incentivized to get it permitted. Hopefully it does and then we'll SDR it. One of the things that we will do, there's plenty of room on this property because of the acreage uh, that we will have some type of we're trying to figure out if we can have a storage or what we can do because we want to have paddle boards. We want to have kayaks. We would actually rent them uh, as opposed to, you know, including them because, you know, the, the price point's not like what we do for, you know, single family homes to be able to include that. Or we can include the water activities that they can rent. So we really are trying to build this to where instead of, it's an apartment complex, it's LTR now, right? To where it's not just motel, dry van, it's a cool looking boutique hotel. And then we're going to go do all the other shit. How do we turn this into a staycation? That's our goal, right? So every outdoor amenity that we can possibly implement at scale for 15 units. And some of them are two bedrooms. So we could have 50, 60 people, you know, on property at one time um, is really going to be the goal. Uh, We have not narrowed that down. We really have to think about logistics. Are we going to have somebody maybe live in the house full time? If we get an SDR permit, we're going to SDR if we don't, then that's probably going to be a family that would be caretakers, you know, and cleaning and all that type of stuff. Then that gives us the opportunity to put in all these rentable amenities, you know, on site and have them manage that, if that makes sense. So the options 
um, have been laid out in the master plan, but the implementation will be determined on, you know, the, what happens with that single family home from an STR standpoint. Okay. That's really it, good. Yeah. So it's not just what most people do redesigning, you know, a motel into a boutique hotel with paint and new furniture and stuff like that, or really trying to take that experience to a whole new level. One thing we want to be very cognizant of though, and it's, it's so important in these times is that we don't overbellow. You know, if we overspend, if we over, you know, amenity, if we over do this stuff, we're not going to get a return when we're talking like 118 to $250 a night, you know, on our, on our units. So it's something that I personally, and, and you've, you've seen some of my properties that I've, I mean, I just got my cost saved back from Yona and I spent 80 grand furnishing a six bedroom property. That makes a lot of people choke. But yeah. when I see I'm going to do 350 in my first 12 months and I'm still forecasting 275 for the next 12 months, like from right now, it's unique because it's so fucking nice, right? Compared to, to my competitors, but it's not unique as a unique, like a dome or a jerk or anything like that. But I'm going to have to step up my game. So I'm spending 12 grand to put in cabanas behind my pool. Thank God that I was in the master plan, but I didn't have to do it last year, right? It was just, I don't need to spend that money. Now I'll take the profit and I'm going to put in 12, 12 to $13,000 for two cabanas in the back. Why? Because it's going to be tougher for me to, to you know, fight for the, through the competition. And anybody can go and buy bikes. But if they put in a pool and they didn't have that in their master plan, I poured an extra 15 feet by 35 feet of concrete. I spent an extra 2000 3000 bucks, whatever it was, four fifty five bucks a foot for concrete when I built the property and put in the pool. It was part of that master plan. If I want to do that after the fact, then I got to redo my railings, my fencing. Then I got to pour the concrete. Then I got to redo the electrical, the conduit, all that type of shit. That's where if you're going to do something unique and specifically with multiple dwellings on a property, you have to build a master plan. Just like you need to have a master investing plan. You need to have a master business plan. You need to have a master fucking life plan. That's the most important part here, folks. And it distills down all the way uh, to the investment. So even that type of a property, I'm going to have to fight every tooth and nail. I'm going to have to claw to get every $5,000 booking. And how do I turn the 5000 into 7000 And how do I not let those $18,000 weeks in July drop down to ten? You know, so if I take those 18s and still get 15, you know, in 2023, I'll be happy. But if I amortize that over four weeks in a month, I just lost 12 grand, you know, in one month. And I think that's probably, if I do nothing, that's probably going to happen all through that peak time. So I've got to make some additions to make it more attractive. And what, and Kenny talks about the research, there's not one property, not one that has cabanas and Gulf Shores. Not one. And it'll be just like when we were down at Lowe's in South Beach. Super, remember the ones right on top of the pool in the center? Super yep. nice. Curtains, fans, wood slats, all that type of stuff. Might even put in misting system just to keep it super cool for them and then market the shit out of that. So, and nobody, and, and if I, and I probably won't even market or mention it like publicly until around March. So nobody can catch up to me at least for one season. <laughs> Unless they're listening. Yeah, well, that's true. But I don't think many of the people down there, you know, listen. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Well, I'm, 
I don't mean, I mean, our masterline members and like host of town members. Yeah, they're all like, oh man, I'm going to start pricing out cabanas. <laughs> yeah, but see, here's the problem. If they if they have a house with a pool, like Bill Carmen, you know who I said, he met my guy and it's two houses down. He has no, he wants to do it. And I said, I'll do it for you. I'll put it together. We use my contractor, blah, blah, blah. But he has no room. He literally would have to pour more concrete, refence. That's too big of an expense. You know, you're talking adding another 10 to 12,000 bucks to have to do that. That kind of prices you out on the return. So that's the beauty of having the vision and a master plan up front. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a good place to close here. So Awesome. Yeah, because I'm out of line. I got to go get another glass and go meet my wife out there by the fire pit. And uh, uh, thank you all. I think this has been a really great topic. Hopefully you guys got something out of this. Because even if you have a regular property now, you need to do something unique. It's something as, as much as, as you can to make it unique. Right? It's interior, exterior. But if you're looking to invest, experience, experiential investment is really what I'd be looking at probably over the next you know, 24 to 36 months. Thanks, Kenny. Great. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode of STR Anomics. Thank you for listening to STR Anomics. Stay ahead of the curve and subscribe today. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.